0: Hello and welcome to the CRV Podcast. My name is Jeff Wright. I'm one of the regular contributors to the CRV website. On this episode, we are delighted to welcome Daryl B. Harrison and Virgil Walker of the excellent Just Thinking Podcast. If by some small chance you're not already familiar with Daryl and Virgil's work, you are in for a treat. After the episode, hang around for where to find them and their podcast on social media. All right, let's get started on my interview with Daryl and Virgil. Daryl Harrison, Virgil Walker, the dynamic duo of the Just Thinking podcast. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for being on with us. How are y'all doing today? Doing fantastic. Good deal. Good deal. Well, hey, I've got congrats to offer. I just saw that uh, your podcast is now the number one podcast in Christianity on Apple Podcasts. Pushed uh, Joel Osteen, thankfully, out of that top spot. So on behalf of CRV, congratulations. That ranking is (laughs) well-deserved.
1: Thank you, brother.
2: Yeah, thanks so much.
0: Well, hey, I want to pay a debt of gratitude to y'all. And it's, it's just a bit of a story, if you'll let me though. Um, it's actually how I first listened to just thinking and how it helped me. So I have been, I think so far, except for this year, to every one of the together for the gospel conferences. And I drive up from Tennessee where I live and it's usually a solo journey. So I download a bunch of podcasts and, you know, get ready for the ride. So. 2018, I'm sitting at a big arena and one of the main stage sermons was preached that really shook me, but not in a good way, because I'd always known this preacher to be a really careful think- thinker, uh, but in, in this sermon there was clearly some kind of ideology that was pushing him into bad thinking. And so I kind of stumbled out of the the arena. I was really shook and I got in the car and I kind of wanted to get my mind on something else. And so I pressed play on episode thirteen titled Cultural Marxism and Public Education. And I think on my you know, listening to your episodes for the first time, I heard the very concepts that pushed that gentleman into into the poor thinking he evidenced in that sermon. Wow. I don't know if y'all remember that one, but it's um it's built around an article called Inside a Public School Social Justice Factory. Uh, from the weekly standard. Ooh. And it's about a school in a in Minnesota, that was pumping Marxism into its students. And I, I was kind of catching back up with it this week, getting ready for the episode. And I thought, I wonder if the, any of those teachers were in those Minneapolis riots.
1: This was a T4G conference you were at, Jeff? Yeah. 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 How long ago was this?
0: It would have been like April of 2018. So I think I was a few months behind your episode. I think that that episode came out in like February.
1: Okay, okay, Virgil. I think I heard you uh, about to to say something. You want to go ahead and follow yeah, up? Yeah,
2: no, I, 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 we've got so many of those, uh, yeah, It's been it's been such a while. I think I think this current episode is what number one hundred three. We're about to hit one hundred four. right, it's uh, one hundred three. Yeah, going, yeah, going back that far, it's it. I have to remember back then, but yeah, I. I do, I do recall early on, and I think that's been the benefit of what we've done as a, as a podcast is that uh, it, it, a lot of folks here recently have kind of begun jumping on the social justice issues, issues around, you know, right after, right after uh, the untimely death of George Floyd, uh, began to jump on these issues and, and, and identify them. Now, now everybody's kind of talking about critical race theory. Everybody is talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter and social justice. Uh, and I think early on, Daryl and I had, had recognized, uh, and, and it wasn't because we were so uh, so desirous to unpack this for people. It was every time we seemed to start up a new episode, we were really looking at at the current culture. We were really looking at what was happening in, in culture and, and trying to figure out what we needed what we needed to speak about as a result. Uh, and so articles like that, issues like that continue to to drive us back into this the fray of social justice and the like and cultural marxism and 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 really led us that direction. I think I think the benefit to that for us, has been. We're not Johnny Come lately to these issues, right? This, mm-hmm. These these are issues that 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 have been a part of what we've been talking about for for the last two years of the podcast. So before things kind of went went haywire as of as of May or maybe earlier in the earlier this year, uh, we, we have we have you know a good two month run of history of, of talking about these issues not just not just from a cursory point of view, but from an in depth richly theological uh, 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 idea uh, so that people can have a biblical framework by which to by which to judge what they're seeing in the culture.
1: Yeah, and Jeff, if I could just add to what Virgil just said there, I think your listeners, it may help them to know that the Just Thinking podcast was actually an outgrowth of a blog that I've been writing for already, even before the podcast launched. So the reason we named the podcast Just thinking is because that's the name of my blog. Folks can get to my blog at Deacon Darrell, that's Darrell spelled D-A-R-R-E-L-L, deacondarrell.com, and they'll go to my blog site, and the header is titled Just Thinking for Myself. So I've been writing on some of the same issues that Virgil and I, when we came together to do do the podcast, I'd already been uh, writing about some of those issues since 2012. So when Virgil talks about we're not Johnny-come-lately uh, to these issues, he's absolutely right. I mean, I've been writing about these same issues for almost a decade before we even launched the podcast. Um, so uh, it just so happens that the launch of the podcast and God's sovereignty, uh, our platform and the timing of that launch of the podcast has sort of ushered us right into the middle of a lot of the sociocultural issues that, uh, that the church is facing right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't mean to, with my follow-up question, imply that that's primarily what the podcast is about, because I appreciate the exegesis and the theological deep dives and all of that. But I am curious, for the two of you thinking about this specific issue with Marxism, critical theory, uh, when did y'all have the conversation like, we really need to, on the podcast, make this a, a focus? Or is it just that it kind of caught your native attention and you thought, I want to talk to my buddy on the podcast about this?
2: Go ahead, verse. I was I was just gonna lay by just saying, you know, for us, we we I, I don't think there was ever a time where we had a conversation where Daryl and I sat together and said, you know what, Daryl. I think it'd be important for us to focus our attention on cultural Marxism and uh, and social justice. Um, I think to the point Daryl made earlier with regard to his blog, he, he he's he's been surveying the culture for, for years. Uh, myself as well for decades. And and the topics that come up, we always want to push through a biblical lens from a biblical worldview. And and so that that's what that's what we were doing. We would we would literally survey kind of headlines and 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 think through. And and sometimes I mean, in fact, Daryl would often call me. Me and say, "Hey, you got an idea for this week's podcast?" And I say, "Not had nothing's hit me yet." And and I remember, and Daryl, you correct me if I'm wrong here. I remember on a number of occasions, Daryl saying, "We are not going to talk about another social justice issue. You know, we we are we uh, we are going to talk about something biblical, something theological, something that's related to something totally different than what's in the culture." He had just grown so weary and tired of every time we turned around, some some woke pastor somewhere or some some social justician somewhere dictating the headlines in the culture, and so. We really wanted to pull that back and say, well, let, let, "Let's get back to Bible. Let's get back to what we do." So this wasn't a, a, oh, we, here's here's the next wave of, of popular thinking. Let's jump on it. Um, it was it was more kind of out of necessity. Daryl, you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, uh, just to sort of piggyback on on
1: Jeff's mentioning, you know, how much he appreciates the exegesis that we undertake uh, on our podcast. And Jeff, to answer your question, you know, a lot of the topics that we deal with that have, uh, you know, relevance to the, uh, you know, social justice, racial reconciliation, that whole uh, milieu or that whole category of issues – It just so happens that we've done enough episodes on those kinds of topics where our listeners have come to sort of trust us as the go-to spot to deal uh, biblically and faithfully with those issues. So they've come to uh, understand and realize that uh, part of the reason why we're a long-form podcast platform is because we do take the time to exposit those issues. We do take the time to exegete. Uh, terms and define our terms, and, and we we we, uh, we we go to great lengths to uh, establish a biblical context of the thesis that we're offering. So it's not like Virgil and I ever intended for any of this to happen. Really, the recognition uh, or th- that we're getting or any of that, we 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 never launched the podcast with any of that in mind. Uh, to be honest with you, Jeff, the podcast wasn't even my idea. It was the brainchild of our executive producer Dwayne Atkinson, who approached. Me about doing the po- a podcast was Virgil. I didn't. I didn't even know Virgil. I didn't know Dwayne or Virgil at the time that I was approached by Dwayne. And when when D- when Dwayne first approached me with the idea, I I turned him down. I said no. Um, I just feel like that was the lane that I should be in at the time because I was writing so much writing. for my blog. But as, as 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 God has has providentially worked this out. We ended up obviously doing the podcast, and uh, again, uh, you know, this, is, this none of this is ever by design or, or, or choreographed on Virgil or, or my part. We 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 as, as as much as folks may know us from dealing with these uh, socio-cultural issues. Uh, we have we have episodes uh, that we've done on, on, on pornography, marriage, singleness, um, you know, uh, edu- education, and things like that. So we have a, a a a a depth of topical and categorical subject matter that we've touched on. It just so happens that we we built somewhat of a reputation uh, out there within the uh, our, 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 that that sort of uh, sociocultural space as as uh, as a trusted source uh for a voice that will deal biblically and objectively with those kinds of issues. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well I'll just tell you, as the guy on the other side of this conversation, I'm very thankful for that that very reality. And I think as I mentioned, that reputation is super well earned. I I would like to kind mm-hmm. of pick your brains on your most recent episodes on Black Lives Matter um uh-huh. they they were so well done uh i know i'm I'm kind of fanboying here, but I just learned so much and i'm curious you guys have been working on as we've been talking about you've been working on this stuff for a long time the the way Marxism's impacted uh-huh. the church and whatnot. It looked to me like Marxism hit evangelicalism, reformed evangelicalism at a breakneck pace. And so by the time I realized, man, I've got to catch up on this, I found it, it, it's hard to catch up, but it's also hard to just stay abreast of the movement, how how quickly it's moving. So do you guys think evangelicals drink this up quickly? Or do you think this was a slow uptake that kind of showed up and, and manifested itself uh, above ground in, in surprising fashion? You know, was this coming from a long way off or did... Is there something about evangelicalism that made it ripe to pick it up super quick?
1: Yeah, I, I think – let me take a stab at that first version, and I'll let you uh, chime in here. I think, Jeff, as I consider your question, I think this was um, – it was somewhat of a slow uptake, but then at the same time it wasn't. I, I think when you look at evangelicalism in America, evangelical evangelicalism in America has always been a pragmatist um, – um, uh, sort of facility it's always been a pragmatist entity, so pragmatism has always played a significant role in uh in american evangelicalism and I think part of the reason is because <clears throat> excuse me I think part of the reason is because um, as we touched on earlier for instance with with the podcast that we do uh, there are huge segment segments within evangelicalism that don't that that aren't exposed to expository preaching there aren't they aren't exposed to um, uh, exe- exegetical sermons and messages that deconstruct biblical doctrines. They don't. They don't mm-hmm. teach uh, and they don't preach biblical doctrine from the pulpit and from the Bible studies and from the Sunday schools. So when you look at that reality, it's, it's, it's really no surprise that um, worldly ideologies like Marxism. Have made such inroads within uh, American evangelicalism because Marxism is 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 a uh, a uh, uh, works righteousness worldview, and as it relates to Marxism making inroads within the church, Marxism is taking advantage of the illiteracy among many Christians that would have us believe that uh, Christ and Christianity would like us to level the playing field for everyone. And that's the lie that Marxism offers. Marxism offers you the lie that it can level the playing field by taking from others, taking from some, and giving what you've taken or what you've stolen uh, in reality, which is stolen from others and redistributed it to others, because it, it, isn't that really what Christianity is all about, just making the world materially equitable, where, where no one person has more material wealth than the other person. So Marxism has taken advantage of that that, um, that uh, assumption assumption or that presumption within ev- American evangelism. Well, that no one should do, be doing without. No one should be. No one should be materially poor. No, 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 no. No person should have uh, uh, more more possessions than the other. Is, isn't isn't that the way of Jesus? Isn't that the way we're supposed to love one another? You know. So pra- that that kind of pragmatism has always been a weak spot uh, within American evangelism, and Marxism is just the latest iteration of of, of how pragmatism has so opened the door. To
2: ideologies like that, you
1: know, first, first, you want to add anything to that?
2: Yeah, I, I, I would. I, I think you I think you nailed it on the head with regard to, to, to the pragmatic, pragmatic approach of evangelicalism. I, I, I even go further to say this. Uh, if, if you back up a little bit and, and think about uh, the black church and the infiltration of black liberation theology into the black church. Um, and, and and that that idea of of kind of a a narrative of culture, a narrative of America that says that there there, there were always oppressors, that we were always enslaved, and that the, and that those ideas are systemically rooted with with something that permeated Black church life. Uh, whether it was overt or covert, whether it was something in the open or, or not spoken, it was always within the, within, within the milieu of, of black church culture. And so when you have this, this, this eye-opening experience for a lot of black evangelicals who would go from uh, maybe a, 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 a very comfortable black missionary Baptist church, And now they're beginning to look at reformed writings and reformed teachers and the impact of men like R.C. Sproul's, uh, the, the impact of men like John MacArthur, and they're beginning to seek out these churches that are doctrinally sound. They're moving into those spaces and places, yet some of the issues related to that background of liberation theology have have not actually been properly and biblically addressed. I think I think a lot of them came into reform settings where they they were there were still some of that deep in them. And so what you began seeing is expressions of that when the news when the news headlines hit and not a proper response to it. For so example, when you see the Ahmad Arbery case, when you see the Michael Brown case, when, you, when these things begin to happen, that, that, that kind of exposed something that was still in the hearts of a lot of, of, of black folk who, were, who found themselves and reformed circles, and yet not the, biblically people able to respond as quickly. So, so I, I agree. I think what you're seeing is you saw what, a slow uptake that Daryl had mentioned, and then this rapid explosion after some of these incidents begin to happen. Black Lives Matter comes on the scene, and we've not properly dealt with, from a biblical standpoint, an exegetical standpoint, the issues regarding the Imago Dei, regarding uh, a, a biblical harmardiology, biblical soteriology. I mean, we, we're just there's so many issues that haven't been properly addressed and and attached themselves to the issues of the day. And so that's why I I think you you begin to see this this rapid uptake.
0: Well, you gentlemen are are churchmen. You serve local congregations. I'm I'm a pastor. I I wonder if you think, or or rather what your thoughts would be on the way that a good hope for local churches to reflect kingdom diversity uh, has impacted the way the church has sought after and drank up critical theory. Do you, do you think there's a connection with us saying maybe diversity over uh, doctrinal integrity or uh, careful membership practices that that was sort of an unguarded uh weakness in evangelicalism that that led to some of this? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would definitely say that that's the case, uh, Jeff. You know, personally speaking, I'll let Virgil speak for himself, but I can't. I can't stand the term kingdom diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when people, when, when people talk about diversity, let's go ahead and exegete that term. Talking about exegesis, let's exegete that term for a second. So when we talk about kingdom diversity. Well, first of all, you have to understand. You have to define. Okay, what do we mean by kingdom? And then we have to define. Well, whose kingdom are we talking about? Mm-hmm. And then you have to define. Well, what do we mean by diversity? Okay, and who defines that? Who defines diversity? And who decides? Which definition of diversity do we settle on, so that we can pair it with the with the definition of kingdom, whatever, however we define that that word? So there's all kind of layers to the very term kingdom diversity before you even get to okay, what's driving that? What's motivating that? What's what's uh, under again talking about pragmatism? That's another uh, example of the pragmatism that is permeating American evangelicalism. But you know when I think about Uh, The very term kingdom diversity, you know, I I think about how in Revelation uh, chapter seven, uh, it already talks about how, uh, you know, uh, God's uh, kingdom is going to be comprised of uh, folks from all tribes, peoples and tongues. And, you know, I I like to make the point that, you know, the fact that that's in Revelation, the the fact that that reality is documented in the very last book of the Bible already tells us that that's in God's mind, uh, from God's economy, that's already a foregone conclusion. We, we don't need to help God achieve something that He that He has been achieving and will achieve, as catalogically speaking. So when when people say kingdom diversity, what they really mean is to populate uh, local church buildings with different with, with with people who have different shades of melanin. OK, mm-hmm. so that's what, that's really essentially what is meant by the, the term kingdom diversity. And, and, and so 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 when, when people use that term, what they're discounting and what they're disavowing is the fact that a person has to be a believer to to belong to the kingdom. Number one, you have to be a believer. OK, but when they talk about kingdom diversity, what they really, you know, kingdom diversity, multi ethnic uh, congregations. When they say multi ethnic and kingdom diversity, what they're talking about is multicolored people. Is what they're talking about. They want they want congregations that are multicolored. They don't want kingdom believers. Okay, so they, they so, so, so so they uh, they uh, undertake these programmatic efforts to diversify quote unquote the local congregations, and that divert, the onus of that diversification always falls on congregations that are predominantly white. I have yet to see anyone advocate for a predominantly black church becoming more kingdom diverse okay it's always the white congregation that has to do that so yeah to answer your question yes absolutely we we've uh we've uh uh, uh, lost sight of guarding uh that particular gate because again we treat the church like uh i don't know if you you've ever watched the Flintstones before but Fred and his best friend Barney Rubble they belong to the um Bedrock Water Buffalo Club, where you know all you have to do is basically uh, you know enter, pay, pay your dues, take a maybe a membership oath, and then they, and then you're in. And we, we treat the church today a lot like it's Fred Flintstone Water Buffalo Club. So it was just open to everybody. Just everybody come on in, and 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 we're just gonna make sure we, we have enough of well, white people here. We got a, a percentage of dark skin, maybe medium dark skin folks over here, and that 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 that, that, that that's what that's how the church is built. Uh, so again, I, I can't stand the term kingdom diversity for many, many reasons, but uh, that, that's just another way, uh, another example of how pragmatism is absolutely destroying uh, the orthodox biblical view of the church that
2: every professing believer ought to have. I, I don't know if Verge wants to add to that, but Verge, I'll throw it to you that- I, I don't think there's anything to add to that. I think I, I think you said it top to bottom. I, I think that that's absolutely spot on. That's where we stand. The, the, this diver- we, we look at diversity in and of itself as a, as a virtue, and and it's not. What, what's what's a virtue is Christ and Him crucified. What's a virtue is truth, and 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 those who are called to that truth rally around. It's one of the things that we talk about is having a biblical soteriology, and if we have that, we understand that it, that that it is God the Father who draws men unto Himself, right and through through the Son and so we we're not concerned with having some programmatic approach to a certain ethnic group in order to draw them to our setting what we're concerned about, about is preaching the, the the truth of the gospel so that all who who hear the voice of the shepherd know his voice and come to him they're drawn to him as a result and so we we allow god to build his kingdom as he sees fit based upon what he has chosen before the foundation of the world
0: man I'm so thankful for the clarity uh with which you guys speak so let me of take you with me into some denominational and, uh, you know, uh, theological training I have set in where I am told by the people who are instructing us that I, as a pastor, need to be aware that different minorities won't feel welcome at our church if they don't see people that look like them on the stage or uh, people who, you know, look like them in leadership. So if if I could pull you into sitting in one of those training sessions with me, how would y'all answer that um, that kind of instruction?
1: Man, I would I would go like so. <laughs> and I mean, you know, hey, listen, <laughs> let me let me share some of my own personal experience with you, Jeff. Um, when I was in Atlanta, I'm, I'm a native of Atlanta. I've been out here in uh, Southern California for uh, a little over a year and a half now. But uh, much of my uh, adult life in Atlanta was spent as a member of uh, First Baptist Church of Atlanta. Uh, where Dr. Charles Stanley, uh, who recently stepped down, he's now pastor emeritus. Uh, Dr. Stanley uh, was uh, was the uh, senior pastor there. I was a member at First Baptist Church of Atlanta, one of the most prominent and most influential Southern Baptist churches in America still today. I was a member there for years. Okay, twenty three years to be exact. I was a member there from nineteen eighty six to two thousand nine. Um, most of those years, you could probably count the uh, number of non white. Members on one hand, okay? On one hand, um, matter of fact, most of my life, most of my adult life, I've been a member of churches that were where the congregations were predominantly white. Uh, so, but, but that's not to say I can also relate, however, where the other half of my life I've spent as member of, of churches that whose congregations were predominantly black. But this whole idea that the church's uh first responsibility is to meet felt needs, such as feeling welcome okay number 1 the church is for the church is for believers the church is for believers the, the 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 number one and primary and foremost responsibility of the church is to preach a gospel of repentance and from sin and turn to faith in Jesus Christ okay now i i'm i'm thinking that when jesus engaged the woman at the well the Samaritan woman at the well in john chapter 4 and started inquiring about her uh, 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 lifestyle of adultery. She probably didn't feel very comfortable at the time. Okay, so uh, when when you talk about someone feeling welcome, that is a uh, I don't even know if that's a, a a a secondary or tertiary responsibility of the church. You 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 go to a church to hear the truth. You go to church to hear the gospel. That's why you attend the church. Okay. To so whatever degree you may feel or or, or or not feel welcome, that's a secondary issue. So the first question to me is are you are you hearing the truth? Is the gospel being exposited faithfully, regardless of who's on stage who happens to have the same skin color as you? I mean that's that's absolutely absurd. I'm gonna to try to stay calm here, but that's just that's one of those things that just really frustrates me that we put qualifiers on God's church. This is Christ's church. Yeah, we put qualifiers and requirements and mandates on the church before we grace it with our presence. I mean, are you, so no, I don't, I don't my, my response to someone like that would be like, what? Yeah, okay, so what? You didn't feel welcome. All right, I, 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 I uh, th- there were very few people who looked like me at First Baptist Atlanta. There were very first people who, few people who looked like me when I was at First Baptist uh, Church of Covington, Georgia, another SBC church. I, I, which I ended up staying at for five years before I moved further away from it. But my point is this. So what if there is there is anyone there who looks like you? Who are you there for? Are you there for
2: you or are you there for the Lord?
1: That's the question you have to ask. Verse, you got anything, man?
2: Yeah, I I, I would I would add two things to that. One is that that, that's probably the most condescending and patronizing response that anyone can have. I mean, the the, the assumption is that they that they've done something or, or let me let me start here that I'm so weak, that I'm so frail, that I'm so fragile. That I can't enter a space apart from seeing someone who looks like me and feel welcome. So let's let's start there, right? That's the most patronizing thing that someone can, can say. I, I'm I'm so weak, so fragile, so frail that I that, that there's no ability for me to connect with the Imago Day in in, a, in another human being. Uh, and not only that, if if I'm walking into a church, I, I'm, I'm hoping that i'm I'm a believer in Christ and that I, I feel I, I see so I, I, I devalue I have no value for the body of Christ. The, the body of Christ is valueless to me unless I see someone with the skin color that I have. Um, that that's a problem. Uh, that that that's problematic and really there's there's some issues that need to be dealt with and addressed if a person feels that way. now if if, if apart from that someone just comes in and, and and you know there's no one greeting them at the door or they see someone who's black and, and and people run or turn the other way, that's a different conversation. But the assumption there is that we care about all people equally, that we respond to all people equally. I'm just trying to understand why a church would believe, that black people coming there would be so frail and fragile as not to be able to feel welcome on the basis of Christ and Him crucified, on the on the on, on the for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of we're all one in Christ and that we're treated equally, that, that they would that they would turn away. The second thing is the issue of colorism Right. We're, we're going to appeal to. So, I, again, the way you frame the question is if I'm in the if I'm in this meeting with you and this is what comes up, I'm going to ask, why are we appealing to colorism? Why, why are we appealing to the idea that someone needs to see someone on the stage, their level of melanin of skin in order to feel welcome? Uh, that's, a, that's a problem. Not only is it condescending and patronizing to believe black people or people of color of any of, of, of any of any ethnicity are so weak and frail and fragile, as to not realize that they're in a minority, that they're a minority in a majority culture, that they can't figure figure out how to feel welcome. That's one. And two, our, our, our fix for that is an appeal to colorism. So we need to have so many Blacks. Uh, we need to have so many Hispanics. We need to have so many Asians. We need to have so many whites uh, uh, on the stage in order for someone to feel welcome. I just, I just think that that, that I, it goes all the way back to what Daryl shared from the beginning, which is an appeal to pragmatism. We're not looking at Bible. We're not looking at Scripture. We're looking, we're looking at what, what the culture dictates we do.
0: Gentlemen, I wish y'all had been leading the seminars I have in my mind when I've sat in there for that kind of training. Um, What you're saying here is deeply biblical, grounded in the gospel and the theology of the faith. But Well, let me just not say but. I, I know the Lord has clearly blessed you with a a, a positive reception with uh, with the podcast and so much of the work you're doing. But I also know some of the things you've just said here are really controversial, even in evangelical circles. Uh, how often do you guys hear from critics? And, and what does that criticism sound like, if, if you do?
1: Oh yeah, we definitely hear from our critics. I mean, we've got our haters out there. And, uh, you know, to, to answer your question, Jeff, I think what makes what we say controversial is because, <clears throat> excuse me, people are, are, are wrapped up in their own, uh, self worship. Uh, to be honest with you, is is idolatry is what it is. I mean, we, we don't, we don't do anything, uh, differently than, uh, from, from, from episode to episode on our podcast. We open the scriptures and we exposit what the scriptures say. Okay. We exposit what the scriptures say. Um, any, anyone who's upset about that or thinks that that's controversial for us to do uh, needs to do a self examination of, of their own heart. Because, uh, you know, you, you look at, uh, for instance, the episode we did on George Floyd, the uh, two recent episodes that we did on uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, anyone who would take offense at any, any of the content that we exposited in any of those episodes, they've got an agenda that's different from God's, okay? Uh, in the George Floyd episode, we established that what matters primary, what is of utmost concern, is that George Floyd was a fellow image bearer of God. That's number one, okay? His, his, his melanin, his skin color, was of no significance whatsoever to me as a Christian, okay? My second concern was, Trying to engage our listeners in a a a matter of George Floyd's salvation. George Floyd is in eternity right now. Okay, George Floyd. So, so, but we we encounter so many folks. It's happening right now with the whole Breonna uh, Taylor uh, grand jury decision uh, recently. We've got folks who are angry that the district attorney and the grand jury came to a different conclusion than what they would have liked to have seen. They would have liked to have seen those police officers punished solely on the basis of the color of the victim, not on any sort of uh, judicial process that was impartial, that was righteous, that was uh, not biased, not prejudiced in any way. In other words, they weren't seeking the truth. They want a particular outcome based on uh, the an a, 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 a idol that they worship in their own heart. And in many cases, that idol is skin color so 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 yeah we 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 we've been called every name in the book from from Coon to Uncle Tom, House Nigger, you name it. Virgil and I have been called every name in the book, but you know we 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 couldn't care less about that. I mean that that's been happening to us for so long. we couldn't care less about that. And I think when you look at how folks are responding to our podcast, there's evidence uh, that people are seeking truth. people are seeking not only are they seeking truth, they are seeking believers who live by the truth and who walk by the truth and who teach the truth. We don't do that perfectly. I'm not suggesting that whatsoever. What I am suggesting, though, is that for folks who will complain to us, uh, about uh, some of the discourse that we do engage in, where we're always pointing out our, our folks back to Scripture and to what Scripture says, says, uh, and and uh, and argue that Scripture is sufficient, Scripture is authoritative. Those folks need to take a look at themselves and say, Hey, where 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 do the, do the affections of my heart really lie? Am I uh, am I an idol worshiper? Am I an idol worshiper? Do I worship ethnicity? Why is it that my indignation is triggered? based on the color of the victim of a perceived injustice, why, why do I respond this way? Because the person, the, the victim of a perceived injustice is the same color of skin as I am. You know, so th- th- those are questions that, that that they have to ask. But as it relates to the uh, uh, the hate and the blowback that we receive, uh, Virgil and I are, are totally innocuous to all that. Virg, what do you want to say, man?
2: No, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, we've been doing, we, I mean, I've, I've been involved in, you know, conservative politics for years. I've been involved in um, church life for years. Um, so, so from a standpoint of, of being a a, a conservative uh, who holds Christian values, uh, who 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 tries to live according to the Word of God, I mean, we 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 ought to know that that, that with that, then comes persecution. Furthermore, I mean, with with the, to the point Daryl made. You know, I, I've been black my whole life, um, and and the, and the ideas that I've held have always run seemingly Contrary to the tribalism that, per, that that seems to to be pervasive uh, in, in in black culture, and so I, you know, I'm innocuous to it. It's, I'm I'm past it. I'm over it. Um, I, it. It is what it is. I I, I love what Daryl said early early on in, in the comments here, which which are your issue. If you have issue with us, it's usually not with us. Uh, the the issue that if, if you're listening to our podcast and you're really trying to to, to exposit what we've said, your issue is with scripture. Uh, if, if you're if you're really looking at why why you have an offense or why you're angry or why you've been triggered by something we've said or done it won't be because we we had some some random opinion that ra- that ran counter to God or or some random idea that ran counter to what scripture said or some 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 sociological idea that we've we've pulled into what scripture says your your issue is is at the front line with scripture
0: thank you brothers and again thank you for your clarity i i'm I'm so aware that you've been generous with your time, and that I can't keep you on here all day. and And I have to just tell you that I get excited when I see a new episode pop up. But I, I particularly get excited when you guys talk about uh, the denomination that Virgil and I are in. Um, I, I know that Virgil, you're Southern Baptist. Daryl, you're you know the ministry you serve is probably the most important and significant non-Southern Baptist ministry to Southern Baptists. I'm sure the Southern Baptist Convention hits your radar. I'd like to just pick your brain on the state of the SBC and what you would say to those of us in the denomination. And Virgil, I know you're speaking from within as well, but um, what catches your attention about the SBC right now? And then what would you say back? I I want that to be as open-ended as possible.
2: Sure. I, I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm a part of the SBC. My heart's here. I've spent a lot of time invested in this space, and and uh, like any solid denomination, you don't want to see it uh, lean to leftist. Uh, you don't want to see it go in 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 a liberal direction. I mean, we had we had the conservative resurgence for a reason. Uh, we staked our claim on the on on you know biblical inerrancy. Um, I, I think what's missing, uh, if anything, is is biblical sufficiency. Mm. Uh, Any time that you can you can craft a resolution uh, that that says, you know what, that we ought to use critical race theory uh, as as a, you know, as a as a as an evaluative tool. Uh, that helps us understand culture and, and, and the like. Uh, regardless of of the fact that you think you're putting uh, the, the Bible ahead of those ana- uh, those quote unquote analytical tools, you've submitted it to a, a an ideology, uh, a worldview that runs counter to everything that that the Bible stands for. Um, scripture alone is sufficient. Scripture alone is sufficient. So those are that's the kind of thing I would say. I mean, the, the, the SBC is so vast and so wide, and, and I'm, I'm very concerned about what I see in the way of direction at the top uh, from the, from what the from what the ERLC has done and the direction they've taken uh, the 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 leaders that are that are in the SBC to resolution nine and the like. I'm, I'm thankful uh, for groups and organization like 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 Tom Askel, like founders like Josh Bice and others who who recognize where where we are, uh, the the, the times that we're in, and the need to hold tightly to Scripture. And and they're they're trying to to push people in a direction uh, that that mimics what we've done with with what has happened in the past historically with the conservative resurgence to say, hey, let's let's stay true to Bible. Uh, Let's not be caught up in what the culture is doing. Uh, And and let's stay stay, to to true north and uh, and hold with
0: biblical fidelity to the Word of God. Thank you, brother. Uh, Daryl, any thoughts on that?
1: I I'm gonna stay out of that one given that I'm sort of on the outside looking in as it relates to uh what's going on within the SBC. I will say this though. Um it is really disheartening to see what's happening within the SBC. Uh when you look at again, I'm gonna hit on the whole uh pragmatism issue again. When when I don't know if I've I've seen uh at least not recently, in recent years an example of being sold out to the idea of pragmatism that what I'm seeing in the SBC, uh, going back to resolution adopted, it's adoption of resolution number nine, and it's sort of, uh, continuing embracement of critical race theory, uh, as, as if, as if the gospel needs help, as if God needs help in, um, bringing who he will into his church. Uh, there's nothing, salvific or redemptive or regenerative about critical race theory. There's nothing uh, um, salvific about critical race theory, but to see a, 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 a denomination as influential as the SBC, sell its soul, uh, just absolutely sell itself out. And I'm, I'm talking about from the top of the leadership of the SBC all the way down. Absolutely selling itself out for a worldly, satanic, divisive theory. Of which is inherently and and and, and uh, intrinsically uh, sinfully prejudicial is 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 just beyond me. I, I, there's just no rationale, no explanation that you can give me uh, to to th- that, that would justify the direction that the SBC is going in, especially as it relates to its embracement of critical race theory. This is not going to turn out well.
2: Jeff, I, I just want to add one.
0: One, please do. Yeah.
2: So I'm so glad that Daryl didn't have much to say about that topic with regard to the SBC, and I'm I'm certain that the, that the, the the lack of clarity there will help your listeners <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> I'm only joking. I I, I so appreciate um, man. Let me tell you something. I so appreciate uh, Daryl and and his um, his clarity uh, about these issues. And and again, we you know if if you are SBC you know like 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 Jeff like you like you told told us you were and like I am we have this tendency to to follow the the the, the 11th commandment you know those who are SBC know know that what the 11th commandment is and you know that's, you, you should not talk about the SBC right no not talk about it don't try to talk about it, any any of its leaders or any of the issues but at the end of the day we have got to unpack these issues and we've got to do so with a clear-eyed view of the scripture and I, and I love what Daryl said which is anytime you're you're adopting this this worldly ideology uh, this, this, this unbiblical ideology which is critical race theory you, you I don't I don't care what you've done you, you or what you think you're doing that pragmatically beneficial this will destroy the SBC it will absolutely be the end of the SBC as we know it.
0: Yeah, brother, I think you're offering wise diagnosis there. I, I know on this episode, the the term pragmatic has made its way into the conversation multiple times. I just want to kind of put a fine point on this. When we're talking about critical theory, critical race theory, uh, but also theological errors that have gone before. Are, are we talking about pragmatism as the root of all evils? And, and I have to tell you, that's a loaded question for me because... I read Dr. MacArthur's Ashamed of the Gospel early in the, in the 2000s, right. and I started thinking, yeah, maybe pragmatism is the root of all evil when it comes to the church. So what, do you, it, it, what would y'all say to that? Is, is pragmatism really at the root of the problems we're seeing? I think uh,
1: pragmatism is a fruit of the root of the problem. Uh, I think a root of the, the root of the problem is, of course, our sinful natures. Um, but when you talk about pragmatism, you know, it just so happens, Jeff, when you mentioned Dr. MacArthur's uh, book, uh, Ashamed of the Gospel, I was actually uh, being brought to mind another of John MacArthur's book, a book titled The Truth War. Um, the subtitle is Fighting for Certainty in an Age... Of deception, uh, you know, and when 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 you, uh when we talk about pragmatism, there's a chapter in the Truth War that's titled "Heresy Subtlety," where John MacArthur says this. He says, "Quote, but in our generation, it sometimes seems as if the more aggressively something is marketed to Christians as the latest, greatest novelty, the less likely most evangelicals are to examine it critically." Okay, so when you talk about whether or not pragmatism is, you know, the the the, the root evil in all of this. I think pragmatism is a fruit of the the root, and the reason pragmatism is a fruit of the root is because Christians— don't think we need to be critical examiners of what's going on in, in the culture and mm-hmm. society. So we don't scrutinize anything. So under the guise of loving our neighbor, right, we just let everything pass. We just let everything go. There's no such thing as false teachers anymore. You can't call out false teachers. You can't, you can't especially to, to Virgil's comment earlier about the 11th commandment, especially if that false teacher is within your own denomination. So well, that's a double win. You you don't violate the eleventh commandment, but especially even if the false teacher is in your own denomination, don't call them out because that's not loving. You know, so so now uh, you have a um, a uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, theological milieu within American evangelicalism that's so emotions centered, it's so sensitive, it's so feeling centered now that to even suggest okay that something is heretical, that something is erroneous is to be unloving. And, and that, is, that has become, uh, again, uh, an outgrowth of, of this whole, whole uh, pragmatist approach uh, to uh, evangelicalism. A, 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 an outgrowth of that has, has, uh, has become, well, our first responsibility as believers is to love everybody. It's, it's what I call the whole kumbaya approach, you know. We just uh, we just all lock arms and sing kumbaya, and, and you know, we're, we're all, can't we all just, you know, like Rodney King said, can't we all just get along? Okay, but that that's at the expense of truth, though. That's at the expense of truth, you know. So 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 I don't know that pragmatism is the root evil, but it's definitely up there. It's definitely up there because again, pragmatism says the gospel's not enough. It's not enough to tell people to repent. Of their sins, so they won't go to hell. Oh, that's not enough. We need to make them comfortable in the in the here and now, because because we want our we want our denomination to grow. We have to add to the uh, to the to the the numbers on the roll, so we can continue to boast SBC. So we can continue to boast in the fact that we're the largest Protestant denomination in America. So we have to have these numbers. We have to keep these numbers coming in. You know, so pragmatism definitely has its evils. But even pragmatism is a fruit of a deeper evil, and that is the, the sin that dwells in the heart of each and every one of us, such as, so as to think that we need to add something to the gospel in order to make the gospel palatable for the world. Um, so, so, yeah, pragmatism is, is, is evil. It is evil, but it's only, it's only a fruit of a deeper root evil that I see existing within American evangelicalism, especially uh, today.
2: Verse. What do you want to add to that, Ben? I, I don't think there's anything to add to that, brother.
0: Well, gentlemen, again, I I, I would like to keep y'all all day, uh, but I know I, I can't. So maybe to to come full circle as we start to land the plane on your on your Black Lives Matter episode, not the freestyle, but the the one before that, where we kind of exegeted the movement. I was mm-hmm. I have kind of a long commute, and so I was listening to that driving home and. I don't remember which one of you raised the point initially, but one of, one of the points y'all made is that Black Lives Matter would be better called Black Deaths Matter and that there's this predatory cherry picking of certain deaths to use as fundraising efforts. And, you know, epiphany tends to have a positive connotation, but I had sort of a dark epiphany that, oh my gosh, that's, a, that's exactly right. I'm I'm curious. Y'all do extensive research. That's that's crystal clear in your episodes. As you were digging into the two BLM episodes, was there any kind of epiphany or surprising uh, aspect of the movement that you learned about that that was similarly sort of an epiphany?
2: Yeah, I, I can I can start on this one. I, I I don't know about epiphany as as far as yeah, I mean I I think both. Darrell and I. Darrell can speak for himself. I, I just don't think we were shocked or surprised by what was there. I mean, we we understood kind of the the, the Marxian underpinnings of this movement. We understood both of us. Um, Darrell was formally trained in, in, in liberation black liberation theology to, to a degree, and I'm I'm familiar with all of what we saw. I think I think for us as we were walking through this. I'll, 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 again, I'll just speak for myself i um, slowing down. I mean, I know we've got kind of the, 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 the cursory view of you know, hey, they they're against the nuclear family. They're 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 promoting uh, the LGBTQIA movement. They're promoting all you know the, uh, the women who are really against men, right? Their their they're, they're, they're ideological positions are, are are feminine driven, and so uh, are feminist driven. And so we we knew all of that. But as you begin to go, as you slow down. And do what we normally do on a on a normal podcast, which is we're going we're we're not going to just do a cursory view. We're gonna we're gonna walk through every sentence. We're gonna define terms. We're gonna look at meaning. Uh, we're gonna see what that meaning has in the way of application to the people that they're that they're preaching their message to. And as we began to do that, uh, for me in particular, this movement became ever more dark. Uh, it became ever more suspect. it became ever more clear to us that what we're dealing with is not a, a simple hashtag phrase that everyone innocuously kind of kind of kind of mimics uh, to, to bow the knee uh, to, to what culture says. Okay, we're all supposed to believe black lives matter. Well, wait a minute. What, what do you mean by black? Uh, what, what do you mean by lives? And, and, and why Why indeed should they matter? And matter to whom on the basis of the, of, the, of the worldview that's being promoted, this godless worldview that's being promoted? So as I began to walk through it, Uh, I mean, it it just really kind of rang clear to me that Black Lives Matter really never cared about the black lives that they that they claimed they cared about. We, We walked through in that episode. Uh, kind of a line, by line. I actually, actually, actually walked through every company and corporation that gave them money and funds uh, o- over the course of, their, of the time that they that the, that the Trayvon Martin case uh, initially uh, happened, that caused them to to you know to start their movement. Uh, the Michael Brown case that caused them to get traction with their movement. We tracked every dollar, and what we noticed is that there's a lot of money being poured into this organization. But we could we had a difficult time, and we're still open to someone correcting us if we're wrong about this. I could not find one single dime of that money that that Black Lives Matter had given to the lives they claim to be promoting, the lives they claim to be hashtagging, and and so the problem the problem with this for me became the realization that not only do they they not care about these black lives, they're actually they actually benefit off of the black off of the back of black dead men. At the hands of white officers, those are the times by which they benefit, and uh, I, I think those kinds of things are important for evangelicals in particular to notice and to note, because more times than not, they're they're bringing this stuff into their church context and 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 talking about it from a platform. I don't know how the, after the after the George Floyd incident, I don't know how many pastors got into their pulpits on that following Sunday morning to to to, to affirm that Black Lives Matter. And, and we, before they begin doing that, I think we've got to look at the Trojan horse that is Black Lives Matter. And, uh, and, and again, I, I, I always quote the, the, the quote from Charles Spurgeon, which says, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is, is, knowing, is the difference between knowing right and almost right. Mm-hmm. And so you grab a hashtag that's almost right. I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that Satan does. He makes it seem almost right. Uh, and then you jump on it only to, only to find yourself, the end result. Uh, you being in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing, and elevating the wrong situation.
1: Yeah, uh, Jeff, Virgil mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, the, um, the the money trail, so to speak, as it relates to Black Lives Matter. And again, I wouldn't necessarily say that this was an aha or some sort of epiphany that I uh, that I realized in our uh, the, the work that we did in researching and preparing those two episodes on BLM. But it is interesting to note that uh, we did uh, sort of run into a, an, an interesting reality about BLM is that they are not, the, and when I say they, I mean the national organization, the, the main entity that is BLM is not a 501c3. They are not an official nonprofit <clears throat> with with the uh, IRS. So, but what they do is, what BLM does is they have, and, and BLM is not just one organization. Let me let your listeners know that. BLM is not just one entity. BLM is affiliated with over 150 subsidiary organizations or other such entities uh, that that share their same worldview, that share their same goals and objectives, that share their same agenda. So, National BLM is not a nonprofit. What be what the National BLM will, will is, and what you'll find the more you drill down into those more than 150 organizations is that they are what is called a financially sponsored project of organizations that are five hundred one c threes. Okay, that, I found that to be very interesting about Black Lives Matter. You would think, given the tens of millions of dollars that are being donated by individuals, you know, celebrities, and corporate uh, entities, and organizations, the tens of millions of dollars that are being donated uh, to Black Lives Matters that absolutely they would be a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization, but their their formal uh, uh, entity is not. Uh, matter of fact, they've, uh, uh, but what we found is that a couple of the organizations that they're tied to as a financially sponsored project is through an organization called thousand current thousand Currents is a California based 501 C three, uh, a thousand Currents has connections to the tides foundation, which is another, uh, nonprofit. Uh, but the tides foundation is headed up by George Soros. Um, one of the co-founders of black lives matters, um, um, Opalkomedie um is um um has an organization a, a spin-off organization out of BLM uh, that is a financially sponsored project of the uh Chinese Progressive Association the CPA mm. which is a 501c3 so it's interesting the more you drill down and you follow the money trail you follow the money uh from BLM national all the way through these various conduits and um tentacles uh so to speak uh the the money can't be tied to BLM directly, but it's it's, it's, it's tied to these subordinate entities that BLM is associated with that sort of uh, funneling, funneling the money for them. Uh, so so that was an interesting thing that that uh, that we uncovered uh, from from my standpoint in uh, doing the research on the two episodes that we recently did.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the kind of depth you guys bring to the table. I know uh, just what you said there, sort of the material side. You you just see like. More and more sinister layers, but I was also surprised when y'all were bringing up the, um, the invocation of ancestors and calling ancestors to speak into, uh, the moment and sort of the, um, uh, the, the tribalistic spirituality that is part of the movement too. So listener, we've talked about the, the BLM episodes from just thinking a couple different times here. There is good stuff all through that. And so. I guess what I'm saying is go download those two BLM episodes. Let that, if you're not listening to Just Thinking, let that be your introduction. But then just scroll down through that podcast app and start downloading everything that looks even remotely interested to you. Because these guys, man, they bring it. Uh, gentlemen, thank you all so much for being gracious with your time. Thank you for coming on the podcast. This is, This has been a real treat. Thanks for having us, Jeff.
1: Jeff, we had a blast, man. Thanks for having us all with you, brother.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for doing it again. And gentlemen, I mean this as sincerely as possible. I am thankful for your work. I'm thankful for your podcast. And please keep up the good work.
2: Oh, thank you, brother. Appreciate that. We'll do, brother. Thanks for the encouragement.
0: All right, guys, I will put it off there, and I hope I didn't push it too close to your timeline. I just want to uh, I want to reiterate as much as possible. Thank y'all so much for all you're doing and and for coming on here. Uh, That conversation was such a joy, I could talk to those guys forever. If you aren't already listening to their podcast, you have to remedy that immediately. Uh, That podcast, titled Just Thinking, is available on every major podcast platform, and you can find the Twitter feed for the show at podcast underscore just. That's podcast underscore just. You can check the show notes for links to the Just Thinking podcast Twitter feed, as well as Daryl and Virgil's personal accounts. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the CRV Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, we would appreciate you taking a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, as well as telling friends about our show. For all the folks at CRV, this is Jeff Wright, wishing you all the best in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.